welcome to Novel Gaming, a podcast about video games and books with a taste of other pop culture tidbits. I'm Vicky. I'm Doug. And I'm Katie. Today on the podcast, we'll be discussing our book club pick of the month, The Night Tiger by Yang Zichu. We're really excited to talk about the book, so we're briefly going to check in on what we've been playing and getting up to lately. So, Doug or Katie, what have you been playing? I've been playing dating games. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yes, the one that I've been playing the most of, which I had played and dabbled in a little bit before, but have really been playing, is Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator, of course. And I I picked up a couple that are sitting in my queue for when I finally uh, exhausted all the daddy dating options. So I've got (laughs) later daters uh, in the queue, which is like an elderly folks dating game. I've got Long Story, which is one that Katie recommended I check out. And I have Hatoful Boyfriend, which is a pigeon dating game (laughs) in my queue. So I'm very excited to check out all these dating games. They're so funny and they're just sort of like inherently silly. And you can play them over and over because you typically have choices. So it's been kind of a fun, fun genre to explore. It's a new genre for me. I had not previously played any dating games. I like that there's so many different options. You know, <laughs> I had yeah, no idea. Exactly. <laughs> Both in dates and the dating games. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what about you, Katie? I have been still playing Animal Crossing. Um, I like to check in and see what's in my Nook's Cranny and my Able Sisters <laughs> so I can spend my bells. But in addition to that, which has been kind of a constant, similar to how Stardew Valley has been a constant in my life, I just finished the campaign mode of Battlefront 2 um, for PS4. And it was pretty good. And it was pretty fun, especially because the kind of main character in the campaign mode, uh, I watched the L word growing up. Mm Mm-hmm. And the person who is the main character in Star Wars Battlefront 2, uh, I believe, was a character named Poppy on the uh, the L word. So that's been like a fun oh, nice. little queer crossover into Star yeah. Wars. Uh, <laughs> and then I've been doing, you know, some of the, the multiplayer stuff, too, to try and get better at not dying instantly. Still working yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Battlefront 2 was one of the PlayStation Plus games, so I've also been playing a lot of Battlefront 2. I haven't finished the campaign mode yet though, so I got to get on my got to get on my ish. <laughs> it's pretty fun. How about you, Vicky? What have you been playing? So, I pulled out Katamari Forever. Oh, yes, yes. So I played Katamari a little bit when I was in college. I had borrowed somebody's Katamari Damacy disc for PS2 um, and then picked this one up a couple years ago and then just pulled it out of a closet. Um, And I just love it because it's just so weird and wonderful. And I think I like it for the same reasons that I like the Lego games where (laughs) I I don't like to clean, but I like to pick up all the things or to like break all of the things. And I just got to a point where I unlocked Eternal Mode on a couple of the levels. Um, And there's no time limit and you literally just roll up as much as you can so yeah Um, so there's one level where you're the world basically and you start with like (laughs) 
rolling up little things and then you get the Eiffel Tower and then, you know, the pyramids and then you start to pick up like lakes and oceans and countries and <laughs> then you get all the way up to like this one comet in the sky uh, that I could never get. And that's kind of where I called it. But I did get full points on that level. So that's so funny. Yeah, it's just so happy, you know, happy yeah. and weird. So I'm more really weird games. That. Uh, yes, for sure. So fun. <laughs> Have there been any other things since we promised in that intro episode three things? Are there any other things that have been on either of your minds lately? Yeah, so you you brought up Star Wars Battlefront, and because I've been playing a bunch of that, I've also just been like thinking about and diving into a lot of Star Wars stuff in general. Mm -hmm. So in addition to finally having watched once again the rise of skywalker and like solidifying opinions on how the whole saga ends which we definitely don't have time for <laughs> i've just been like like consuming a lot of star wars stuff specifically with regards to the prequel era that like late republic era and i know that the movies are like arguably not great uh movies in the way that they tell their stories and just in the in the way that they were made uh, thanks, George. Uh, the era is actually super fascinating and really complicated and super messy. So uh, I've been rewatching some Clone Wars stuff because that sort of oh, explores yeah. some of the messiness and the sort of effed upness of that era. But then also reading some, you know, prequel era comics and and revisiting some books like the Dooku Origin book, mm. um, which is a really great audiobook if you're into Star Wars audiobooks. Uh, they're very high production audiobooks, but just really <laughs> like diving into that complicated, messy nobody's really a good guy era of Star Wars, except for Qui-Gon Jinn. Very uh. good guy. <laughs> yeah. Even uh, Obi-Wan? Obi-Wan gets to be a good guy, but Obi-Wan is also a general in a war that uses an army of clones that are bred specifically yeah. to be soldiers. So not great. He's also like pretty weird gets there. about like rules and stuff, yeah. which I like the more free-flowing Jedis, yeah. you know? I uh, The hippie Jedi, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I I was trying to explain the dynamic of Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi to my mother the other day. Oh and uh, and actually conveniently enough because my my you know my parents go to Catholic church, I just compared Qui-Gon Jinn to like our pastor and and Obi-Wan to like our new associate pastor and was like, you know how the new associate pastor is like young but more traditional and like really loves rules but people don't really connect to him very well because oh of gosh. it. <laughs> God, that's and she's perfect. like, okay, cool, I guess. <laughs> <sighs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> what about you all? Uh, I So something that came out yesterday that Colin told me about, Assassin's Creed Odyssey and mm. the character debacle. I am so frustrated with Ubisoft that women don't sell because we know that that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I, I can only speak to playing Cassandra because I only was interested in playing her role. The only uh, character. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't... I mean, I understand why they made the decision to add Alexios later in the game. But Sexism. It just, yeah. It's just so frustrating that that's still happening when you have great, great examples of really strong female leads in video games. Well, I think what's really confusing to me is they presented it as an option, oh. which is f like sort of fine on the surface, right? You're like, oh, okay, like you get a choice. That's mm -hmm. still not perfect, but cooler than it was before, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then to find out that didn't you tell like didn't you say that it was supposed to be 
Cassandra. Yeah. And then yep. they added the male character after the fact. Yep, and he's super under, supposedly uh, underdeveloped because it was a last minute. Well, it's we just bizarre this. because choices are cool, but adding a male character with the justification of women don't sell in the year 2020 is just like demonstrably false. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't understand how anyone's still making that argument. Mm-hmm. You can point to plenty of plenty of games in the past few years and throughout gaming history that feature female protagonists that are very popular. It's just very stupid, and I don't understand how people are still making that argument. It's really, really baffling. Yeah, and I think a lot about, like, Mass Effect and how, like, female Shep was, like, a thousand times more compelling than male Shepard simply in their voices, in their vocal, Mm -hmm. um, like, tones and ranges, because I feel like, in video games, a lot of the time, the characters, when it's a dude character, you know, they're supposed to be this like gruff, stoic thing. And that <laughs> reads boring. That's like boring mm-hmm. for me to listen to. And so I don't know. It's like dumb on so many levels because most people I talk to who played Mass Effect, and it could maybe just be who I talk to, their favorite was Female Shepherd. And most people mm-hmm. I talk to who played Assassin's Creed Odyssey only played as Cassandra. So it's just like, <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. I think one of the stats that I saw was that, you know, they said, well, you know, two thirds of our players still chose Alexios. And the thought that like they delivered an underdeveloped game to two thirds of their people is also like really shitty. <laughs> like I, you got to stand by your product and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's disappointing. And I, have picked I've pick and choose which Assassin's Creed games I play and I really did enjoy Odyssey but this just leaves such a sour taste in my mouth and I don't want to support I know they've made some changes at the company uh, but I don't want to support Valhalla necessarily because there are other games that I could spend my time with and money on yeah I've been because video games has been one of the things that's been helping me deal with all that's going on. I've been specifically looking to like buy new games and like indie ones even. And, uh, you know, as I scroll through the eShop or the PlayStation store, I try to find ones that don't just have white dudes (laughs) as the protagonist. (laughs) How's that going for you? it's like, oh my gosh, why are there so many white dudes, you know? Mm. Can't we just get a little something different? Because that's what I want. Very, like, chiseled, jawed, (laughs) super short hair. All look the same. Single scar on their face, white dudes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Katie, anything you've been thinking about? Um, So recently, um, I rewatched Sister Act. Oh. Um, because my partner had never seen oh. Sister Whoa. Act. Yeah, so we had to correct that. Yeah, thank you for doing <laughs> so good, good work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like rewatching it after not having watched it for a while, it is still such a solid movie. Mm-hmm. And Whoopi Goldberg was like 37 in that movie. Oh, wow. And she what? is a total babe in it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was just so awesome because I was like, oh, what was she in like? 20s or something but no right Um, so that gives me hope for growing older that i will continue to just start to look better um but yeah i've been thinking about kind of movies from childhood and nostalgia uh Mm -hmm. because it feels good right now i think to like hold on to things that brought you comfort when you were younger Uh yeah so yeah sister act maybe i'll uh 
try and find an old Babysitter's Club movie since the new Aww. Babysitter's Club is on Netflix. So we'll see where this road takes it. But yeah, just feeling good with some oldies. I love that. for where that takes you. Yeah. <laughs> I just read, um, and it makes so much sense, but folks, myself included, deal with anxiety by going to the things that comfort us. And I mm. do have a tendency to read and reread and watch the same like five things over and over again. And I never really understood why, but they do make me <laughs> like, I know what to expect. So I know what's yeah. coming and they brought me happiness or comfort or joy or something about it. So I love that you're doing that. Yeah. Nice. And I mean, never a bad time for Sister Act. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other things folks want to talk about? Not that I can think of. Yeah, I'm ready for this book. Awesome. All right, so let's jump right in. Uh, just as a reminder, so we started this mini book club about a year ago after hearing about Doug's, uh, <laughs> I'm going to put words in your mouth, but frustrating, lackluster, <laughs> maybe, experiences, <laughs> how I interpreted the story uh, in, in a book club you were participating in. Since it's the three of us, we're able to control a lot of the things that a regular book club you wouldn't have control over. So people not reading the book, dominating conversations, uh, <laughs> selecting thousand pages of, of reading that you know is never going to happen. <laughs> so what we've been doing is we rotate through who picks. And for me, it's been really fun to read outside what I normally would gravitate to. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. would, I would say that there's very few picks that sometimes we're on the same page or it's like oh i've been wanting to read that but more often than not it's been a completely new author or book i've not heard of which has been been really great so we don't have strict guidelines per se for selections but some things that we've been trying to do and keep in mind so we want things that are readily accessible with little to no library hold times so especially with the pandemic we've been trying to get things that that we can get pretty quickly um Mm -hmm. so far we've done fiction picks and we try, we always try and get diverse representation in authors. So, Doug, do you want to talk about the Read Harder Challenge? Because that's something you told me about and something that we've yeah. been incorporating this year. Yeah. So for the past two years, I used to work at a library and something that was introduced to me while I was working there was this thing called the Read Harder Challenge, which is something hosted by, or I guess just created by, it's not really like an interactive thing, but something that's created by, um, gosh, what is it called? Book Riot, which is a Mm. website all about books. And they release a challenge every year to read books in a certain number of categories. I think it's 24 categories that is supposed to diversify your reading experience. And so each item is like, for example, read a, a book by an author of color that's historical fiction or something like that. Or, you know, read a book about food from another culture or read a play by, you know, a queer playwright of color or something like that. So just stuff that's supposed to diversify. And sometimes it's the type of book. So read a children's book or Mm -hmm. read a YA nonfiction book or something like that. So we decided that this, you know, at the beginning of this calendar year, we would try to incorporate some of those categories into our own book club just to like keep ourselves choosing diverse things too. And this was one of the ones that was sort of selected with that Read Harder Challenge in mind. I believe the category was historical fiction that is not about World War II. Mm, yeah. <laughs> which is actually yeah. like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, who knew that would be a thing? I know. Yeah. And then using our, you know, using our own sort of like personal interests, 
you know, I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that we were able to find something that we could all access very easily. I remembered this book being a very popular book. It was one of Reese Witherspoon's book club books, so I was very confident we'd all be able to find it very quickly. I'm confident that if you're listening to this and you use a digital library, you'll be able to find it no problem, mm-hmm. both um, as an ebook or as an audiobook. I was able to do both, so no real trouble there. And it's it's written by an, an author of color, so it, it hit a lot of things that we were interested in. Mm-hmm. I did not prepare a synopsis. Do we need to? Do we need to find a summary? Mm, I I think we. I mean, since this is the, our first book club book discussion, like let's see if we can do it. Yeah, right. Like, cool. what would you say this? Like, how would you? Like, what would you say this book is about? If you had to tell somebody like what it's about, Oof. and the, I I feel like it's hard, which is why I'm curious to see what you'll say. Yeah, I like this challenge. <laughs> Maybe we should do this for all uh, future book club picks. Do are we good with spoilers? Yeah, I, that's a good thing. To, yeah, we should probably probably. We're definitely gonna spoil stuff. Yeah, we're definitely <laughs> gonna spoil stuff. And I'm gonna be totally honest. Like I, when I when I watch or listen to like a book review, I'm usually only interested in like the spoiler stuff because I'm probably probably watching or listening because I already read it. I don't know mm, if you guys yeah. have similar feelings or not. So I'm fine just like going full spoiler mode like right off the bat, unless you want to try to do it. I don't uh, think so. I think I want to okay. do spoilers. What's spoil? Okay. Yeah. Great. It'd be hard to Spoilers not. will abound. If you haven't read this book, we're going to spoil all kinds of shit. The whole thing. <laughs> the whole book. We're actually going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> and with this one in particular, I don't know how I would talk about it without spoiling yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think if I were to describe what this book was about, I would say it's about a set of people who share similar, oh gosh, uh, similar names under the five Confucian virtues. So there's two, well, really there's like four main characters. Um, mm-hmm. But we touch on each of these, I'm going to call them siblings, but they're not necessarily like blood siblings, who each share an attribute of one of the Confucian virtues. The two main that we that, that narrate the story, Ji Lin and then Ren, are not blood siblings, but we are connected to them through a finger. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> so Ren, a literal finger. Yes, a literal finger. <laughs> and that's when we, we first started talking about it. You know, it seems like it's just going to be a nice story about colonial Malaya um, and these two young people and like whatever their journey is going to be. But like very quickly, it's like someone is dead. A finger is missing. Someone may or may not be a tiger. And I, I was really yeah. intrigued by yeah. like, the dark twistiness of it. I don't know. Yeah. How, what all would you add to that summary? Oh, one, I feel like that should be the tagline of the book. Someone is dead. <laughs> There's a missing finger. And there might be a tiger. Someone might yeah. be a tiger. <laughs> the I summary. feel like that would be like the like the the trailer text for yes. if this were a movie. Yeah. In a world where <laughs> with a finger. Yes. Yeah, you know, I was thinking of how I would describe this, and I think I would probably do like a recipe style description where it's like you know, two parts historical fiction, Mm -hmm. one part sort of, I wouldn't say fantasy, I would say more like mysticism. Mm. Yeah. And like one part mystery. You know, it's, it's most of what it is, is, is up against the context of, of colonial Malaya. And there's a lot of, I think, background is maybe not giving it enough credit, but the backdrop of this is that colonialism and like Mm -hmm. the relationships between Europeans in Malaya and the actual like, Mm -hmm 
not even just native people of Malaya, but it, I, Malaya is a is a wildly diverse place. It sounds like I mm-hmm. admittedly don't know very much about it. Mm-hmm. So just the relations between those different types of people and and how they're affected by colonialism. But but what ends up happening with this finger, which you're introduced <laughs> to like four pages in, yeah. is that it sets off this this sort of like. Um, journey that halfway ish through the book turns into kind of a mystery yeah and it's funny i didn't realize that i was reading kind of a mystery Mm -hmm. until like way after it was sort of introduced you know because you know vicky you said there's these five characters well mostly four characters Mm -hmm. that are named after these confucian virtues you you realize sort of late in the game like oh part of the mystery is figuring out who the fifth person is, mm, yeah. which I realized I had been wondering the whole time mm-hmm. and just didn't realize how integral to the story it was. Yes, and I was wrong every single time. I was like, oh, it's got to be that person. <laughs> like, oh, duh, it's that person. <laughs> what would you add, Katie? Anything? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like y'all hit on it a lot. I think I would just describe it as an unexpected, I don't know, journey, uh, story, an unexpected story that revolves around a finger. If I like, yeah. <laughs> like kind of narrow it down into like a simple sentence or two. And also uh, an unexpected story that revolves around a finger and also has like murder and the spirit world. Yes. A spirit train yeah. station in particular. Yeah, there's just like so many unexpected elements to this book. And I really had no idea what it was about. So I wasn't ready for it. And I did not expect to go any of the places that I ended up going. Mm-hmm. I had to have read a summer, like not a summary. I had to have read a blurb or something or a description at least to choose this. And I feel like I had no idea that it was going to get as spiritual as it does mm-hmm. yeah. with regards to the spirit train station and the spirit world and stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause one of the main characters exists entirely in like an afterlife state or yeah. maybe a purgatory state, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. So I, I just was totally flabbergasted by the inclusion of that stuff. I liked it. I appreciated it. It mm-hmm. definitely added a lot, but I just wasn't expecting it. Yeah. And then the like spirit tiger stuff, there was, mm-hmm. it was yeah. like, kind of all throughout um, <laughs> which was cool and i'd never heard of that before i think in the epilogue they talked about kind of werewolves and stuff and how um, uh, they like kind of relate to each other so uh i don't know i want to learn more about these tiger people mm-hmm. yeah so vicky you said you didn't have any epilogue or note stuff one no. one thing that this book sort of has as a constant is the idea of these like for lack of a better term were tigers mm-hmm. or tiger people or tiger tiger folk what they they clarify in the notes but i feel like maybe had sort of alluded to in the book a little bit is that in a traditional sort of like european werewolf it's a person who transforms into a wolf but these are are tigers that transform into people mm-hmm. oh. so their default state is tiger um, oh. but transform to people but the book does complicate that though because there is the 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 sort of character that you learn may be one of these tiger folk seems to kind of default to being a person right the doctor mm-hmm. so I, I i i think the book uses some of that but i don't think it's necessary it's like it's inspired by those were tiger stories that seem to be sprinkled throughout different asian cultures mm-hmm. uh, but it, it definitely takes a twisty sort of twisty sort of direction on that i think plus i don't think do you was it clear to you all whether that would like we were to believe those were real things in this book or was it mm-hmm. was it left as a mystery to you uh i don't think it was ever made clear but i was definitely like 
after we visited this dream death train station, I was like, <laughs> okay, then in this world that I'm reading right now, uh, tiger people are real, where tigers mm-hmm. are real. And so I'm going to choose to say that that, like, in my mind, that person did turn into a tiger, like when they were, you know, passed out from their sickness or whatever. Because I think in the book they want us to believe that. Because they like so too. built it up like, oh yeah, he would talk about in his dream like this person and then we'd find like some hair in the shower. And then the <laughs> like authorities would say this person was killed by a tiger. Um, so and, I felt and the like... the spirit world eventually reflects changes that would only sort of make sense, I think, with the tiger folk stuff. Yeah. Like restored paws and fingers mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah, 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 and stuff. yeah yeah that's true i just appreciate that there's never really a scene like it doesn't this book mm-hmm. doesn't have a scene where you like see a tiger transform into a person mm-hmm. that'd be cool though <laughs> and i kind of dig that there were some i'm not to switch the subject but there were some other like steamy scenes though that surprised me yeah <laughs> Yeah. Tell me more, Vicky. <laughs> no, I don't want to tell you more. <laughs> Let's get hot in here. <laughs> no, thank you. I <laughs> Vicky um, loves talking about sexy no, stuff, so I'm like my cheeks are probably red, and I'm really flustered. <laughs> I was so I listened to it, which is why I think there wasn't mm-hmm. um, an epilogue. And so one thing before I transition us into the steamy stuff, because I know you do want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> uh, the author read the book. And oh, I, that's so cool. yes, and I love when that happens. And I didn't know that right away until I went, I like happened to look at, at something. But the way that she articulated Ren's voice versus Jilin's mm-hmm. voice and how like soft and kind she made him. Like before I knew mm-hmm. it was the author, I was like, oh, wow, like there, she's really like making me think of this character in this particular way i wonder if that's how it's supposed to be but then like obviously yes that is how (laughs) the author envisioned this character which i just loved because he was just so sweet and kind Mm -hmm. um and that really came through and how she acted his voice out which was neat but anyway we could talk about the steamy stuff so listening to this that um i was (laughs) very surprised by the romance Uh um that occurred between shin and jilin uh, okay, exactly. I, I have I, feelings. Unfortunate <laughs> steam. I'm. Uh, I don't. Okay, I guess I can't say. I'm gonna say right or wrong. That's not. It's nothing. Is black and white. I feel weird about it because they are siblings ish. I mean, incest is generally a tough thing <laughs> to root for. So this is well the thing that okay to to be to be especially clear because I don't think we've clarified this yeah like there's a literal set of twins in this book mm-hmm. and there's an adoptive set of twins in this book and the literal twins are are identical little boys and that's like one major story and the adoptive twins are like adults uh, and end up being like a heterosexual couple basically by the end despite having been raised since they were, I think, like 10. Yeah, they were young. As brother and sister and being mistaken as twins Mm -hmm. their whole lives together. And what's strange, this is not the first book I've read that does this, where there's like non-biological twins or siblings that end up becoming a couple by the end of the book. And I understand the argument that like, they're they're not biologically siblings or whatever. But- there's something, I think you put it exactly the way I feel about it, Vicky, where it's like, 
I, it just feels weird, like whether whether the the judgment is right or wrong or or whether it's black and white or gray, like I just always feel weird when it ends up happening in a book. And I was I was really mm-hmm. rooting against it because I mm-hmm. kind of saw like mm-hmm. it might have been a direction things were going to go. Yeah. And I I I went, while it was getting there, I was like, OK, like I kind of understand like the situation and where it's going and how this is difficult and frustrating and like circumstances are weird and stuff but when it finally by the end of the book was like no i've actually also loved you this whole time i was <laughs> <Right>? like no <laughs> let's Your rip siblings. our clothes off yeah <laughs> it was it was like also if and maybe this is from an american perspective it wasn't a healthy relationship take out the incest like the way shin kind of like stalked jilin and then yeah. was like not bullying, but like pressuring her to go in directions that she didn't necessarily want to go. At the end, so uh, another spoiler, they're like going off to a new place together to like be together outside of their family's like disapproving eyes. But Jilin is kind of like, ah, I'm not sure what's going to happen, yeah. you know? And I was like, please get away (laughs) like Mm -hmm. (laughs) not only is it kind of tough to root for because of the incest aspect but like he's just not very nice to you Mm -hmm. at least from my perspective i i was not rooting for them i wasn't rooting for them either um i didn't like i mean I, i don't think that they were necessarily great for each other either but i i I also was trying to like keep in mind like how much of this is like in a historical context, which doesn't necessarily make it more right, mm. but just like in an like as an exercise to try to like think like okay if I if I'm allowing that to be the context, how do I feel about it even still? Mm-hmm. And I think I'm I was really frustrated by I know that I know that that Ji Lin, who is like our protagonist in the book wasn't expressing necessarily to him all of her feelings but i feel like he shin was especially weird about everything i mean the fact that it's like a bomb drop in the book and is treated as a bomb drop in the book that he has any feelings back something about that just doesn't sit right with me and the fact that there's like all these like these like revealed twists and turns where it's like, no, I don't have a girlfriend. This was always for you. No, I lie about this so that I can be with you. I've done all these things without you knowing and made all these decisions that will lead up to us being together. And I did that without even knowing that you were interested. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just sort of serendipitous that we actually both like each other. Like it just was sort of like weird. And I don't know like, I don't know what the normal is here, so all I can really say is that it was sort of strange and weird for me, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was, it was, I liked most of the book. That was the thing I really just, like, couldn't get behind and really sort of distracted me from what I thought was really, really cool stuff happening. Yeah. I like the way things intertwined. That's just a thing I would like to un unintertwine, <laughs> untwine. Oh, please. <laughs> Let's reverse that one. <laughs> well, I think in the book, even like Jilin talks about how she was kind of into what was it, Ming? Yeah, yeah, Ming. she's really into Ming. She never even thought about her brother in that way, and so like I don't know, it was just really weird and manipulative. And he like mm-hmm. owned up to that, 
Uh, and that's why I feel like at the end she like maybe because her virtue was wisdom. So I was like, please, oh, please, like see what he did and like how he has been manipulating you. Because he also like kind of fought off suitors who were interested in her. Mm-hmm. And so I just hope she used that wisdom to get away. <laughs> well, in the whole book, she was really smart and quick. And so I yeah. hope, you know, she'll get over the romance of it all, you know, in that one year, whatever they were setting the time period on and make a good decision for her, whatever that means. You know, one thing that's funny is the ebook also has like discussion questions ah! because it was a Reese Witherspoon book. Oh, that's fun. Um, or, or I don't know if it's because of that, but I'm, I'm suspecting that's why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the questions in that is like, do you like, how do you feel about the book leaving the story open for a sequel? Oh. I was like, I don't want the sequel unless this no. is about to go in like a totally different direction. <laughs> yeah. And I <laughs> like, I'm satisfied by the mystery and mysticism of it all. I don't need more of their, their relationship. Mm. Oh, I don't know if I finished it thinking like, oh, you know, there could be a sequel. It just... I didn't either. No, just left it open. Yeah. There's not many more people to murder, so... What did you all think of the Ren side of things? I really enjoyed that side of of the story. I usually Mm -hmm. found myself less distracted reading his side of things. Mm -hmm. I was really struck, and I don't remember his virtue. Does anybody remember? Ren's was humanity. Hmm. Okay. So the five, I guess we we should just call it the five since I have them. The so five. the five virtues are knowledge, humanity, integrity, righteousness, and ritual or order. And our two main characters, Ji Lin, is knowledge or wisdom, and Ren, which is humanity. So I was really struck by the fact that Ren felt so compelled to go somewhere, find the finger, wherever in the world the finger was, then return it within 49 days to the grave and bury it. Like, I again, culturally, I can't really relate, but like to feel so compelled to do that for somebody. And then I was thinking maybe his virtue was like ritual or integrity or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that, I just, again, like I thought he was just such a sweet character and that was such like a kind, I guess, humanistic thing to do if that was somebody's like last wish. Yeah. I think that's sort of where I where I found justification or like not justification mm-hmm. rationale for yeah. why he was so compelled is that I mean one he's like ten years old yeah I was gonna say he was a baby yeah mm-hmm. and I think there's a point in the book where it's sort of clarified that he's he didn't just have like a respect for his his old doctor boss master mm-hmm. um, but also was scared of him so I think mm-hmm. it was a combination of like a compulsion to do the right thing. And fear of not carrying out the task for, mm-hmm. like, for whatever the consequence might be. Superstition plays like a big part in this book too, and I think he's one of the the more superstitious characters. You kind of you, there, you know, characters that are or are not superstitious, I think, are an interesting factor in this. Because Ji Lin is, I don't think, a very like uh, superstitious person, even though she thinks about the numbers a lot. Mm, that's true. I really liked Ren. I think Ren was potentially my favorite just because of how cool as an a, a 10 or 11 year old he was. Yeah. Cause not an only, almost 13 year old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not only is he like going out finding uh, fingers like it's a normal thing yeah. to do, but he also bandaged up somebody's leg. And mm-hmm. I am over 30 and I don't <laughs> think I could do that. 
uh, nor would I want to. And he, I don't know, he just like did so many like kind things and was like looking out for folks that I really enjoyed Ren. I enjoyed Jilin too. I think those two are definitely my favorites just because we got to know them the most um, and we spent the most time with them. But I really liked Ren's kind of story. It was interesting how it all became connected, um, like through the stories, how they, when they met each other, yeah. and what that looked like. Uh, I thought that mm-hmm. was really well done. Because I was like, how the heck are these people all going to be kind of together? Because I think it set it up kind of early that these folks are all intertwined. They're going to come together in some way, shape, or form. They're all like connected. And so I was like, how the heck are they going to like meet each other? Yeah. I thought it was so cool how it all ended up happening. Yeah, the author did a really good job both making each protagonist of the two sort of main tracks uh, rootable and likable and yeah. capable and and largely full of agency when, a, when it's possible to be and weaving multiple stories together in a way that I was not expecting. <laughs> no, there was just... I, so when I finished it, I just remember thinking like, there was so much in this book, like so much and so many different mm-hmm. characters, the history, the spirituality, the superstition, and it never felt that way. I mean, maybe a little bit like confused at points when I, when it's like a hook and you're like, wait, what just happened? Wait, what? Where are we? But <laughs> I never was like struggling to to remember or manage the storylines or characters. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, I don't think it felt overstuffed or No, anything. not at all. Not the romance, but bleh. And not even overstuffed, just not to my liking, which is fine. Yeah. Yep. I was just going to say, the last little bit about Ren that I really liked was his cat sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was just like, I, I don't know, it just warmed my heart. Like, his little, like his spidey sense was tingling, but his cat sense was uh-huh. telling him something. I loved that every time. Yeah, I like that, too. Yeah. He's great. Katie, did you have questions that you wanted to tackle? I did, yes. Yeah. So... We mentioned that the five characters who represent the five different Confucian values. And so when Yi is talking to Jilin in their kind of dream death state, he says there's something a little bit wrong with each one of us. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I was trying to think, like some of them I think are like pretty kind of easy to see. So in the book, they talk about how Shin is integrity, but he's always been kind of seen as this like womanizer and romancer and Mm -hmm. isn't always telling the truth about stuff. And the fifth, the like order ritual thing, it was two people, (laughs) right? That was like the doctor and also Lydia. I felt like the doctor was a fake out. Yes. I think Lydia was truly was the, the order disorder character because I think I think William, the doctor, was starting to believe that he had some supernatural effect on the environment around him, yeah. but it turns out that she was, was responsible, Lydia. I think, for all of those things. Yeah. So I don't know if they really keep him in that fifth spot once that realization is made, but I don't know. I'm sure arguments could be made because <laughs> he's not, I don't know, he's not great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's made some choices. Uh-huh. <laughs> but those two, I feel like, were really easy to see where yeah. things kind of went askew. But for yeah. the other characters, it wasn't as clear to me what was off about them. Hmm. Because Ren is still, Ren humanity, right? A caring person who, like, works to help people. Jilin, mm-hmm. um, knowledge, wisdom. A pretty smart person who's capable and makes, like, 
pretty good decisions based on her set of circumstances and what was available to her. I think, so Ren is the one that I struggle with the most, both personally in trying to decide or or see or understand where the flaw is supposed to be with regards to his virtue. G. Lin, I don't personally agree with what I think is communicated to us as being the flaw, but I think the book does try to tell us what the flaws are because G. Lin's virtue is wisdom. And I think that, I don't know if the author believes this either, but I think the context of the society that she's living in, the family that she's living in, the the world that she is forced to navigate considers her choices unwise. And she mm. certainly is self-conscious about her own choices as well and mm. considers them, if not unwise in her own sort of like heart, unwise by like societal standards. I don't think that's fair personally, because I don't think that means she is in fact flawed in her virtue. Mm-hmm. So that one's tough for me because I feel like we're told what the answer is and I just don't agree. Yeah. Ren, though, I don't I don't understand what the flaw is supposed to be at all. At the end of the book, Ren accidentally kills someone, yeah. but that doesn't seem to be in disagreement with his humanity because he was doing it trying to help someone. Mm-hmm. So I, I struggle with Ren. The other three I kind of get, Yi, at one point Yi, who's supposed to represent righteousness, is revealed to be doing things sort of selfishly as opposed to for like the greater good. And maybe that's part of what it is. That also feels a little unfair because I think he's supposed to be seven years old eternally. But (laughs) I think that's what the story is supposed to tell us. Hmm. I think that's a point of struggle is like what the story's telling us, if we can even find it. And then once we find it, do we even agree? Mm -hmm. Are there other things around the Night Tiger that you, either of you would want to talk about? I think just Lydia in general. Hmm. Oh boy. Yeah. So much. So... I didn't like that she was just like a, in my opinion, a doting, like love struck e nurse, hospital orderly woman, or like working to help people. Like she didn't really seem like she had a purpose um, other than to dote on the doctor. But then I didn't necessarily like that the substance that she was given was this horrible, malicious murder supernatural woman (laughs) at like the very very end um she's a witch she is a witch (laughs) but like i never okay so in thinking about like all of the deaths i never really considered leading up to them like this could be someone's supernatural power um i thought they were just like weird things or someone is just murdering someone so then when Dr. Acton thought that he had this power, I was like, oh, okay, I could, you know, maybe buy this. But then in reality, when Lydia had it, I was like, okay, well, shoot, that's that's a superpower. I mean, I that's not something I've heard before in any kind of story, like the ability to affect outcomes or lives in a way that benefits you. So I thought that was interesting, but I didn't necessarily love it. I yeah, it's it's a little frustrating. I, I don't think it's it's a story told poorly, but it's frustrating that the ultimate swerve is like this male white European doctor who is part of the colonizing culture in a long line mm-hmm. of abusive people with the exact same position and identity as him, frequently as we see who are running from terrible choices they've made in their home country turns out to not actually be the bad guy after being built up to be (laughs) in a long line of bad guys and the bad guy is actually like lady who's lusting right that that feels like a little 
from just like a storytelling perspective, like, sure, I get it. I see what you did, like, swerve, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily leave me feeling good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably not supposed to, but I, I, I don't think it necessarily leaves me satisfied either. Yeah. Yeah. I think Lydia was a big curveball for me, too. Uh, like, I just did not expect her to really play a major role in anything because she wasn't really written as a major role until the very end. Similar mm-hmm. to, I forget his name, but Shin's friend, who's like the happy-go-lucky one. Oh, who's Cobain. Actually the murderer. Yeah. yeah. I didn't expect any of the murders. And maybe that's a, no. a lesson learned, right? Um, murderers <laughs> can be anybody. But yeah. generally, I mean, at least in real life, for us, they tend to be a lot of white guys. So it was yeah. especially surprising to have Lydia be like the big bad or one of the big bads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it from like the perspective of this book being part mystery, but I don't feel like the book was a full blown mystery for that to feel like a satisfying curveball, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I especially like what you, I mean, Lydia. Lydia was white, right? She was also yeah, coming European. from... Yeah. I believe... Yeah, well, because one of the things that she and William bond over is the novelty of, quote, also having Chinese names. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> Which yes. is integral to the story, like, part of the theme. Like, yeah. it is... It's an important part of the theme. So as corny as it is in real life for these two, like, white people to be like, we have Chinese names, too. Right. I, it, it fits in perfectly with everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, and I think it is a little corny, and it's... I think it's I think it's meant to be a little corny, but uh, but yeah, I think I think we're to understand that she's also white. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess there is some still threads of like the colonialism is yeah. dangerous there, but yeah, it was just it was just surprising because she was just such a non-factor until that end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess like uh, I guess if we take something away, like the more villainous, like the conventionally villainous folks are still sort of representative of of the effect that colonialism has, right? Like this idea that they can sort of do whatever they want mm-hmm. and there's like a sense of entitlement to mm-hmm. it. And that is reflected in white characters. So it makes sense, but it it's, <laughs> I don't know. There's, some, there's something about it that feels still a little bit icky, but overall I really liked I really liked it. I thought it was yeah, well written. I thought characters were generally fleshed out. I think there were maybe if 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 this weren't if this didn't have an element of mystery, I think I might have been frustrated with some of the decoy characters, mm-hmm. but because there was an element of trying to figure things out and sort things out, I don't mind as much because there were quite a few characters that were like, "You're a bad guy." Oh wait, JK, no you're not. You're actually <laughs> not really a factor at all. <laughs> Which works only because there was a mystery happening, I think. But overall, I, I think the mysticism stuff really, uh, or the spirituality stuff probably more accurately, is the stuff that really was fascinating. And maybe that's just because I didn't expect it. And then the sort of interwoven stories, I think, is the thing I liked liked the most. Which is really hip now, right? <laughs> like telling a story from multiple mm-hmm. multiple narrative perspectives. This one at least all happened at the same time. Like it wasn't like mm. uh, disjointed timelines or anything. Yeah, that always confuses me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> a little less to keep track of. <laughs> I was worried when we started because I was like, we get a date, but we don't get a year on each one of these chapters. So should I be paying attention to like if these are happening? Because we read, uh, this is going to be a spoiler for a different book, uh, but the Broken Earth trilogy. Mm. Uh, if you haven't read that, just skip ahead like 15 seconds. But one of the reveals in the first book of that is that all these narratives are actually happening at different points in time. So I was like prepared for that. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no. 
we can get the get this big reveal of this isn't all happening at the same time. But that didn't happen. So (laughs) overall, what did you guys like? Is this like a general thumbs up, general thumbs down, sort of in the middle somewhere? What do you think? I really liked it. Um, I was entertained. There were times where I was nervous a little bit, like what's going to happen? Who's going to live? Yeah, I liked it a lot. So good pick, Doug. Yeah, I'm thumbs up. Cool. I'm glad because I, I, this was sort of a, a last minute, like after a few struggles on, on all finding the same book digitally, I was like, I just got to get something we can all have. <laughs> yeah, it worked so, out. Thanks, Reese. I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> Making this book uh, popular. Yup. And our next book club pick is My Sister, the Serial Killer by Oyinkan Braithwaite, which is a satirical slasher. So if you'd like to reach out to us, you can shoot us an email at novelgamingpodcast at gmail.com and keep an eye out for us on social media. Uh, We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to Novel Gaming wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll be back in a bit with a brand new episode, so we look forward to talking to you then. Bye. Bye.